Welcome to Andy Matterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 6, Lost in Translation. I didn't dislike this episode, but it kind of encapsulated a lot of Strange New Worlds problems for me, starting with the fact that I really enjoyed this episode when it was Voyager Season 4, Demon. My take on how this was entirely a Voyager episode is the space cloud is alive. Yes. They have to deal with the fact that the space cloud that they were stealing energy from, Mm -hmm. turns out there were people there. Yep. And they didn't like that. Yes. Which is at least six Voyager (laughs) episodes. And the space cloud, there's just every space cloud. Yeah. Stop trying to steal from space clouds. I just feel like at this point we need to do something about the extractive mining industry in the Federation because clearly it's a problem. It's also the devil in the dark. It's also the entire fourth season of Discovery. Yes. Imagine if Strange New Worlds tried to do something new. You know, the fact that we can point to many different tracks Mm. means that they're all doing this, turns out. (laughs) But... Yes, it's reminiscent. As soon as they started talking about extracting from the space cloud, I was like, I I know what's going to (laughs) happen. That space cloud is alive. Mm, mm. (laughs) That's just what happens. That's what happens. This isn't even Strange New Worlds' first living nebula. No. Ricky is off living in one. I feel like we're totally overdue for an Uhura episode. She has been absolutely sidelined this season, particularly after the second episode. And so it's great to give her a focus. I was delighted to see Hema again, although I kind of wish they had just gone the Lower Decks route of, hey, Hema's alive. We're not going to talk about that. (laughs) But that's just for me personally, as someone who loved his character. But at the same time, you have... Uhura's development via trauma and using Hema's disabled body as a monster, it encapsulates some of the strengths of Strange New Worlds in terms of its cast and its character relationships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's also the absolute worst of the series in terms of being derivative and ableist and just piling so much trauma on people of colour. Wow, it really is a good... Uh... Mm. <laughs> this is everything... Yeah. Everything yeah. right and wrong. Yeah. So I want to say one thing about the, not about trauma exactly, but mm. about the fact that Hemmer, so this is episode six yes. of the second season, and Hemmer died in episode nine mm. of season one. And this is, you know, other than passing, he died and and now we need a new engineer. <laughs> This is the first time we talk about it. Yeah. Since his memorial. And so on one hand, it's uh, it's a little weird. It's Mm, like, mm. we waited X amount of time. Again, I have no idea how much time has gone by. No idea. I don't know how much time was in between seasons, and I don't know how much time is in between episodes. It's very unclear to me (laughs) how long any of this takes. Mm. So, you know, setting that aside... Some amount of time has passed. 
And we're just now talking to Pelia about Hammer and just now having Hammer be an important part mm. of Uhura's movement. But yeah. on the flip side, we're talking about Hammer. Right. We're talking about the trauma of losing Hammer and having another person in that place. Mm. We're talking about Uhura clinging to her little YouTube of her and Hammer and using that to get through things. Yeah. And all of that is great. That is continuity of not just character and relationship and story, but also like continuity of trauma and recovery. Yeah. And it does take X amount of time to start to talk about things in a different way, to look at the YouTube and smile mm. instead of look at the YouTube and cry. So I like it for that. I like the time lapse for those reasons. It's just interesting that, the, you know, the episodic threads mm. of Strange New Worlds, it, there's absolutely an overarching plot line and arc, but they are little bits. Yes. And it's reminiscent, again, of Voyager, who also really tried to have a through line, but also have every single episode stand by itself. Mm. And that's really hard. That's harder mm. than a Deep Space Nine. He's just like, these eight episodes do not make sense unless you watch all of them. Right, right. And it was also a weakness in Voyager. And we also had problems where we would go months without referring to some major event and then suddenly it's important, not just to one character, but to everyone. I completely understand that Uhura whose inability to face death is a major part of this episode, has not been able to talk about Hemmer until now. But it's weird right. that Una and Pelia Una. save right. this conversation for this late in the season. Exactly. It's weird that both of those things were in this one yeah. episode. You know, there's four more episodes and... I would not be surprised if we never talk about Hammer again in those four episodes. 100%. It's all in this one. So yeah. it's interesting. It's just... Yeah. There are pros and cons, I guess, Yeah, is what I'm saying. And the <laughs> thing is, like, I'm into season five of Voyager in my rewatch and my blog, and I remember how much the fandom resented the episodic nature of it and the reset button and that we would have to assemble themes and characterization from the crumbs. And it's frustrating to me now that we have Strange New Worlds doing the same thing and it's acclaimed as this great storytelling. I mean, I think they made the choice, you know, go going into this series, they made the choice that they wanted it to be. Mm. more not completely but more episodic mm. than discovery or picard and so they wrote themselves into this box yeah and again to give them the benefit of the doubt i do think that they are trying to balance things i've noticed that everybody gets to have their logs yes you know everybody gets to narrate an episode and I appreciate that. Mm. I appreciate that they're spreading that out through the ensemble instead of just Pike and Spock. Everybody gets to have their voice heard. But yes, it is that problem of we're going to tell a story that starts, begins, and ends in one episode, but we're also, while doing that, mm. have all these other little character beats. But sometimes those character beats are going to be shoved into the same episode because they match, not because that would actually happen. I think, yeah, that's it exactly. And maybe this is one of the issues, like, if, if the writers had more time, as they are striking mm -hmm. for now, this would be a better show. Honestly, I think 
give the writers more time, Strange New Worlds could potentially be actually good instead of just enjoyable sometimes. But that's just me. I'm in favour of giving writers good conditions. And we do revisit the theme of identity this episode with Uhura's past and how they shape her present and also that she is losing her identity as these aliens try to communicate with her. Right. And our, I, I don't even know his name, but dead guy. Oh, <laughs> dead gosh. guy who gets shoved into the space cloud. I can't remember his name, but you noted that he is coding, coded working class and I noted that he is Latino. So, again, yikes. What are they doing? I don't know. It's one of those things where I don't think they meant to. No! That was absolutely not on purpose. <laughs> However, mm. Mm. just, you know, there's the Farragut and there's the Enterprise and there's the station, right? And yes. so, like, clearly, if you're on the Enterprise, flagship of the fleet, mm. everybody's favorite ship, the cream of the crop, you're on the Enterprise, that's the, that's the highest. And the Farragut, you're Jim Kirk, you're the... Mm youngest first officer ever we we know who jim kirk is and if you don't know who jim kirk is in episode three they told us kirk is a legend and so those two ships are like the best they're the elite class and then there's the station people who again i don't even know his name i don't know his name and they're not they need Una and Pelia and mm. whoever to come onto the station and fix it and make it all work for them. They're the people who are stuck in the broken factory. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, these people come in for a week and hit a bunch of stuff and make it work and then leave again, never having explained what <laughs> what's going on and the workers have to keep going. Mm. So... That's what I mean by coded working class. I actually think that guy was a crewman from the Farragut. Was he really? Yes. Because <laughs> they had been there longer? Because he, yeah, he was yeah, sick. Yeah. That's why I thought he was a station guy. No, look, I didn't rewatch the episode except to scrobble through and rewatch Uhura's scene with Kirk because I want to talk about that. But my memory is that he was from the Farragut and he got sick a couple of days ahead of Uhura. But I still think you're right about the station workers being coded working class and that guy mm -hmm. as the sort of grease monkey being coded working class. In their defense, they tried to help him. They mm -hmm. didn't immediately assume that he was sabotaging them all on purpose. Mm -hmm. they, it was very clear that something was wrong and they were going to take care of him. They brought him sick bay, you know, they did the right thing. But... He, he has a horrible death and he is a grease monkey. He's there to show what could happen to Uhura. Yeah. And that's it. You know, he's entirely there for her storyline. So I'm going to skip ahead to my bit at the end of the notes. Spock and Pike get characterization via hijinks and romantic adventures, which I think is what episode four was meant to be. And Uhura gets trauma and the trauma is compounded by the unnecessarily graphic death of this officer. And then Mabenga, trauma. Hema, dies. Una, trauma. La'an, trauma. I feel like Christine, as a white woman and as a blonde, pretty young white woman, is the only female character. Or, who, okay, Ortegas. Honestly. We don't know. We don't know her traumatic backstory yet. <laughs> I'm sure she has one. 
<laughs> I just don't count Ortegas when I'm talking about characterization in the aggregate for this series. But with the exception of Una, it's all pe traumatizing people of color all the way down. And Una was an allegory for right. the list <laughs> of marginalized people. Una is the generic other, even though in episode oh. four they then forgot that she's immune to radiation. And also, in episode two, Una and Nira were from the same planet, grew mm. up in the same neighborhood, had all the same happenstance. Mm. Nira, the black woman, her brother died. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't Una's. Mm. And then she stayed mm. in the worst place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's So, just pointing out, also fits your path. Yeah. Able-bodied white men, fine. White women, suffer. People of colour, and particularly black people, suffer the most. Mm -hmm. It's honestly a joke. Like, it feels like we're being pranked. You know, since we're talking about it, mm -hmm. how I pointed out on, I believe it was Mastodon, I've heard there's way too many social medias right oh now. Oh my gosh. I say. But think how many there'll be by the time this episode actually drops. I know. So someone asked, who should Michael Burnham hang out with mm. from any other Star Trek? Mm. And I said that Michael, Laon, and Worf have mm. a support group about people who are orphaned as children <laughs> um, by sneak attacks. Yeah. Of, you know, whatever alien was the bad guy at the time. And so obviously, uh, Laan is the is, you know yes. trauma, uh, and then look at the two people who she has the same trauma as. They're it's both a black, black women and a black man. So yeah. whoops, just yeah. just saying. Mm. 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 But yes, this show has a problem. But okay, again, there are blinders. There are clear mm. blinders mm. in the writers' room. I don't know who all the writers are, um, no. and it could be above them. But I also too. think that so. this was the problem, one of the problems with season two of Discovery, where Michael suffers so much at every turn. And that was heavily overseen by Akiva Goldsman. So he's the one I blame, basically. And also, in order to promote Quake and Spock. Yeah. Just saying. Just saying it's a problem. Having said that, I did not dislike any of the relationships or interactions in this episode with one exception that I think is me projecting but we have Spock and Christine's secret romance and Christine is very bad at quantum physics <laughs> and I think she's also bad at relationships she's definitely bad at relationships yes and Spock is adorable <laughs> he's trying so hard He's really trying to follow, like, the guidelines. Mm, I, mm. I feel like he has a few books on the subject. Oh. You know, how to relate to your human girlfriend. Mm, mm. <laughs> and, and he can't. But it's adorable. He has 100% been reading his father's copy of that book since he was a child. But also he's reading the rule book. And so he's like, well, we're in a relationship, so we need to, like, register that officially. And I do love that Starfleet has a system for... Yes. for that sort of thing. I think that is the best balance between forbidding fraternization and just mm -hmm. letting it be a free-for-all. So that's great. Well done, Starfleet, for once you've had a good HR policy. 
Right. And we said that she doesn't want relationships. That's not what she's in it for. She doesn't Mm. want feelings. Mm. She certainly doesn't want other people weighing in Mm. on her relationship or her feelings. Mm. So I understand it. And also, it's very new. It's very precarious, Mm. I think is the Mm. best word. I wouldn't be running to HR either, but I also understand it from Spock's perspective, and especially since he is such a rules follower Mm. this early in his career. Yes, and also he's just gotten out of his relationship with T'Pring, and that is incredibly regimented and rule-bound. Right, and I was going to say, there's 800,000 rules for that. Yeah, and... I'm sure this is a new experience for him and it's a little nerve-wracking and so he is trying to follow the rules as Starfleet dictates. And I kind of respect that. I completely understand a person who has to Google how to be in a relationship. (laughs) I love them. Mm. them. And then we have La'an and Real Jim, I guess we can call him, who... (laughs) really don't have a relationship as far as he is concerned. They're like at the beginning of a friendship. And I enjoy the uh, asymmetric feelings. Yes. I enjoy that she calls him by his first name Mm. and Pike is like, wait. (laughs) Oh, oh, you know each other? Like, it makes sense that Mm. they could, Mm. right? It's possible. Yeah. Especially because she was new from... To the right. Enterprise last season. So it's not like she's been part of his crew this whole time. But Jim doesn't have that no. context <laughs> at all. He's like, we talked for like three minutes mm. <laughs> about my brother. Mm. I don't know. Uh, I didn't know we were on a first name basis. Mm. But sure. He thought they were LinkedIn friends and she thought right. they were Twitter friends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's a, a little bit of a disconnect. Yeah. But he rolls with it. It's okay. He's good. He rolls with everything. I don't want to say he's a chill guy because Jim Kirk, this Jim Kirk he's in particular, not... he's very type A. But I think he is flexible and works very hard to seem like he can roll with it. I think he's a people person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so... He gets people and maybe what they need. Mm. And so it's sort of like, oh, okay. Mm. We can feel that out and see what happens. And I think that's one of his great skills later as Shatner Kirk, that Shatner Kirk is very good at identifying what a situation needs and being the guy. Like, if you Mm. have a weird diplomatic thing, he will be a diplomat. If you have Mm. a salt monster, he will be a monster hunter. Without ever changing his actual core of of personality, he understands what a situation needs. That's what makes him the legend. Yeah. There was one bit in the La'an and Jim show where she (laughs) sees him speaking to Naota and gets a look on her face like jealousy. Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. like that. Like, No, I don't like that either. I kind of understand it from La'an because... Mm. She had this whirlwind romance that ended in death. Yes. And then she's not allowed to talk about it with Mm. anyone. So it's pretty bad on her end. And so 
she doesn't know what her feelings are because she hasn't been allowed. She can't like put it in her lodge because she knows that Starfleet reads them. Mm -hmm. We learned that in episode two. And she knows that like, she doesn't have any claim to this person. He doesn't mm -hmm. know who she is, but she kind of knows who he is. And she, she wants to see if he has mm -hmm. the traits that were so mm -hmm. attractive in the other him. And so she doesn't want Uhura who, if I was Laan, you know, Uhura's better than it. Go, go be with Uhura. That's a better choice. Mm. Uhura's easier. Mm. <laughs> but also, he doesn't know Uhura any better than he knows Laan. So why does he have that connection with her and not Laan? Like, I understand right. her feelings and I really empathize. I just think female jealousy is such yeah. a such a cliche it's so sexist and then we also had the una and pelia conflict and i was like i like the una pelia thing but this is maybe too much woman on woman dispute for one episode also i have a just have a very low tolerance for that sort of thing get that but counterpoint mm. there are so many women characters right that it's easier to write a conflict between women because there are more of them than men. And I'm not going to be against that. <laughs> no, no, you're absolutely right. And like I said, Laan's feelings make sense. I just don't like jealousy storylines. Yeah, I get it. I, I just, you know, it, it was very clear in last episode when we had Spock on, it, like, you know, drinks. Mm, girls' drinks. Girls, yeah, it was, I mean, I called it Girls Night Out because it was four women in Spock. Mm. And that's kind of great. <laughs> I was thinking about that and I think that the Twitter users who insist that Spock can only be gay and would never be attracted to a woman, they're going to love that. Good. Mm. They can have something to be happy about in an episode they will hate. Yeah. <laughs> but that's fine. That's fine. Because mm. I love it. So I don't care. So let's talk about Jim and Nyota. I love that in every single timeline, Nyota shuts him down as a romantic prospect. <laughs> there are certain consistencies across the multiverse, like Picard and Beverly are always a thing, and, yes! Jim, and Jim and Nyota are not. Are never. Are never a thing. <laughs> Which is great. Yes, absolutely. I love that she was immediately like, no. And he was like, I wasn't even doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> which which is kind of like related to the the laan you know the complaint that you were saying i also i'm like sitting there watching them together and i'm like there's not even anything between them <laughs> they are clearly not flirting so it's fine don't be upset because i ship people at the drop of a hat mm -hmm. I will ship people who've never been in a scene together, who have no possibility of ever being in a scene together. <laughs> I will still ship them. And I do not ship Jim and Nyota in any context no. unless Spock is also involved and only in AOS for that. I call their relationship sibling-esque. Yes. I think that that is very clear in this episode. And I think it's supposed to be clear in this episode mm. because we have multiple scenes about siblings yes. and how both of them you know have things that they're not getting mm -hmm. from that relationship obviously Nyoto doesn't even have her brother anymore so it's like the episode wants us <laughs> to be reading them as brother and sister mm -hmm. 
which is how I see it in, in AOS. It's fun for me to think on TOS. And the, I got to say, the most amazing thing that Strange New Worlds has done Mm. is make me want to rewatch the original <laughs> series. <laughs> I highly rate rewatching TOS with Strange New Worlds in mind because you will be blown away by how much Janice Rand has SNW Christine Chapel's personality. Like it makes me mad. I'm blown away. You and Sam are both doing TOS rewatches and so oh, Sam is the reason. Like Sam gave me the idea. Right? And even my brother, he likes to rewatch the original series because he really loves like the 60s aesthetic. Mm. He's a, a hippie dippy kind of guy. And he will just randomly text me <laughs> at, at, at all hours of the day to say something like, you know, Kirk is pro-abortion. <laughs> I don't understand why anybody would would, would see him as as anything other than a feminist. And I'm like, okay. So everybody in my life is like, you should give... The, and it's not like I don't like the series. It's just that I don't think about liking it. Mm. It's sort of like, you know, it's just not my favorite. And so why I'm going to... It's not my favorite. And it's not like Deep Space Nine where everybody... in Twitter is is telling me I have to love mm. Deep Space mm. Nine or I there's something like wrong with me as a leftist Star Trek fan. Yeah. TOS is very polarizing. Yeah, I think you know. It's so outdated that you do kind of have to work hard to mm. perceive what it could be. And Strange New Worlds does a lot of that work for us, which I think is part of the appeal. Hmm. So good job, good job, Strange New World. Good job, Paul Wesley. Yeah, and and everybody else in the cast, but yeah. <laughs> like they're they're not as much. I will watch it, and I'll be sad that Uhura doesn't get as much to do. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, she is so underused in this season. Obviously, she has a million more things to do than in TOS, but it's not that much of an improvement. I think Uhura, like Mabenga, really needs a love interest. That's just me putting that out there. I, I know I simultaneously complain about there being too much romance. And also I want, uh, I just think it would be cool to have some romance for the black characters. And I definitely didn't ship Jim and Nyota because she's like 22 and he's a million years old. Uh, I think he's supposed to be 26. Oh no. I'm sorry. Oh no. He's definitely supposed to be under 30. Yeah, because he's like, I'm the youngest ever first officer in Starfleet. And I'm like, well, Michael had that job at like age 29 or 30. So if I recall correctly, mm. he becomes the youngest captain at yeah. 35. Yeah, yeah. And that is somewhere between eight and nine years mm. from now-ish. Mm. Again, I have no idea what year it is. So that's why I say 26, because that would be nine years. <laughs> Is he really first officer for nine years? That also seems like a long time. So I don't know. That's like longer than Riker. Look. <laughs> so, so I think that you know, let's call him. We could we could be generous. Oh, you said that. Uh, so if if Michael's twenty nine, he could be twenty eight and still be the youngest. Like no <laughs> so offense to Paul Wesley, but he does look forty, which he is, and I'm forty one. So no shame, but. 
Bless. I have noticed, like, with Paul Wesley and before that with Ed Spillers, they are casting men 10, 20 years older than they should be. And it's just, it's weird. Like, we used to have age-appropriate men and women who were cast too young. And now we have age-appropriate women and men who are cast too old. And the overall effect is the same. Men are young forever and women are used by date. I'm just saying. I had to look up and make sure mm. that, and I've forgotten his name, but the actor who plays Sam Kirk was mm. older than Thomas. <laughs> I was like, and he is by one year, by not mm. even one year. He, he is in fact older, but honestly, he looks young. He does. Like, and he's definitely supposed to be the older brother. Yeah. That really had me confused because I kept forgetting. It is a very youthful moustache. I don't know. It's weird. Oh, weird. Before we move on to Sam Kirk, I just want to say that it's weird that first Spock in season one and now Kirk in season two have like gently suggested that Uhura maybe doesn't belong in Starfleet. And that's weird. And again, weird. what are you doing, show? Star Trek microaggressions doesn't have the same ring, but I was going to say, I, yeah, I am waiting for black Trek Twitter to weigh in. I know Kennedy yeah. has just stopped watching Strange New Worlds. Ebony isn't tweeting and may not be watching. Like, you start to notice when the black fans disappear. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm. It's interesting. Again, they don't know. They don't mm. realize that's mm. what they did. In both cases, I think Spock and Kirk are both doing it out of, like, they're trying to mentor her. Yeah. They're trying yeah. to give her their wisdom. Mm. And they're like, oh, you're going through something? Because Spock did it after Children that of the ridiculous Comet. dinner yeah, <laughs> where yeah. we, like, we learn... Um, uh, her tragic backstory mm. and everyone is sort of like, ooh, that's a, mm. a crazy reason to join Starfleet. But they all are human and so they don't bring it up. <laughs> and Spock, being Spock, is like, hey, by the way, <laughs> if you don't want to be in Starfleet, don't be in Starfleet. Mm. And completely ignores the fact that she has a reason. Yes. And Kirk, too, he's trying to say, you know, hey, you have all these feelings. What are you doing with them? I yeah. guess. Yeah. And in both cases, it is also patronizing. Yeah. She has not signed up to have either of these men as her mentor. Right. There's a reason she chose Hammer. <laughs> Spock comes in at the end and says he was wrong so mm -hmm. like, there's that and clearly she made her choice everybody seems to be very on her side now yeah so, but yeah and also I really liked their, I, I like this as the mm. beginning of their relationship I think it's a really good foundation mm. for who they become and how ride or die everyone on the Enterprise is Hmm. But, yes, it's a weird thing that they, they definitely didn't know they were doing. Yeah, I, I just think that it would be cool if Star Trek Strange New Worlds understood and ever thought about subtext or racism. I'm going to go yeah. on a limb yeah. and say it would be cool if modern Star Trek ever thought about subtext. No, you are completely correct. 
I have just finished catching up on the Mission Impossible franchise, so I'm all ready to see the new movie. A week ago, I had only seen one Mission Impossible movie, and now I've seen all but the newest. And mm. uh, uh, first of all, did we know that Brandon Braga and Ronald D. Moore wrote Mission Impossible 2? I did not, but I actually love Mission Impossible 2. Same. It is still my favourite in the series. <laughs> Clearly the best one, so I did not know, but... Mm-hmm. I'm not mad about it. <laughs> then J.J. Abrams comes in on the third one and directs it, and that is co-written by Alex Kurtzman and Robert Orchie, who did, you know, Into Darkness. Also, yep. And, and mm-hmm. then Bad Robot sort of stays around for the rest of the franchise, which becomes, look, it will never be as good as MI2. I'm sorry. If you don't have Tom Cruise jumping off a cliff face in Sydney, then what is even the point? But... It is interesting that this is Paramount's other franchise and it is also just a complete rejection of subtlety or subtext or, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Which is so funny because Mission Impossible is supposed to be about subtlety and subtext. That's literally their job. It's interesting to compare the two franchises because, of course, Mission Impossible was the other big NBC action science fiction adjacent mm-hmm. series. TV, and TV series. Yeah. And TV Leonard TV. Nimoy was in it after Star Trek as a character named Paris, I have learned, which is nice. Ooh. And so they are sort of, I'm going to call them franchise buddies. And so it's interesting that in the 21st century, they're like, mm, subtext. No, we don't yeah. know her. I mean, it could be almost universalized for modern television, modern media. Mm. It's not just Mm. Star Trek and Mission Impossible that have gotten here. And when subtlety and subtext happens, Mm. the audience calls Mm. it plot hole. And I just, I give up. That's just what I was thinking. I saw a criticism of Greece, the rise of the pink ladies, complaining that it was written assuming that the audience would pay attention and not have their phone in their hand. This is the Greece prequel. I, I... And yes, I absolutely watch Mission Impossible with my phone in my hand because Tom Cruise's teeth scare me, but... Well, because there's a lot of explosions and you don't have to necessarily be watching Mm. during the explosions. Also, the first movie got bad reviews for having an overcomplicated plot and I understood that plot perfectly. So we're in a really interesting state where we're trained to understand and deconstruct complex mystery box stories, but also the writing just assumes that we're not going to pay attention. Right, and if we do, they change the mystery box yeah. to accommodate the audience mm. or to accommodate the fact that the audience guessed it and so now they have to do something surprising. Mm. And that's all bad. Everything about that is bad. Yeah. You get Rise of Skywalker and no mm. one wants mm. that. Mm. It made no one happy. Do you know what I did enjoy? And I will definitely trim this conversation down. I really enjoyed Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I was like, yes, I really enjoyed that movie. Phoebe Waller-Bridge I, should be in more things. I enjoy many things. Yeah. I, I enjoy Strange New Worlds. Mm. More than me. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm easy. It turns out <laughs> I think 
them easy, especially when things are written for me. Yeah. Or to me. Look, I think we all know that if Strange New Worlds contrived to bring back Admiral Cornwell, I would be completely on board the Strange New Worlds train. I would be an unabashed Strange New Worlds stan. Aw, that's very sweet. I like that she's still your... You know, I keep thinking I need to move on, I need to find a new character, but none has presented herself. So... Until that happens, and I'm very open to it, I'm taking applications to be my new Blorbo. But, I, yeah. I've moved on, so. No, I know. <laughs> but, but it's okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm easy. But also, I love Katrina Cornwell, mm. and I still love Katrina Cornwell. I love da- Daenerys Targaryen, and mm. I love Ben Solo. And <laughs> there's people who are not coming back and who had horrible ends. And so, for my health mm. i have to put like a little a little yeah. wall between that and me and then you know star trek says hey we've taken everything you ever loved in a character <laughs> and made this one right what do you think and i'll like okay good job you, you get you you won me back and you had several fallow years where you just were not creating many fan works except for photo yeah. caps. And so Christine Chapel is like a gift for you. She's woken up yeah. your creative side. Exactly. I'm so happy Which to is... see it. And I'm just going to keep right. sending you Lizzo songs and headlines that remind it's me going to of your OTPs. <laughs> I'm just going to say, I'm waiting till the end of the season mm. to make anything because I mm. want all of the available drama and footage. Good. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Back on topic, let's talk about the Sam and Jim relationship and how Sam is basically the worst, but I'm going to say he's an I, especially bad big brother. Like, I hate him. Yeah. Like, I, I'm sorry. I don't want to hate him. I, I don't want to like him necessarily, but... What is the point of Sam Kirk in Strange New Worlds? He dies. Mm-hmm. He dies in the final episode of the first season of the original series. And I assumed the reason Sam Kirk was in Strange New Worlds was to make us sad about that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty easy mm-hmm. get. But I don't. Obviously, I don't want anyone to die, mm-hmm. but I don't like him. Mostly, it makes me sad for his wife, who has to marry him and have three children with him. Have three kids, two of which die sometime in the next, okay, sometime in the next, like, six to eight years mm-hmm. that we've decided is they have here. Sam Kirk the worst is going to meet a woman fall in love somehow she falls in love with him they get married they have three children two of them die (laughs) and the third is the sole survivor of the sam kirk family does his wife die yes god that's rough (laughs) i don't understand (laughs) I don't understand what the point of any of this is. Obviously, death is going to come to as a sweet release to Jim Kirk's sister-in-law. 
Her name is Orlan. Orlan. Oh, that's pretty. I... It's pretty. That's why mm. I remember it. Yeah. When you said yesterday that they have three kids and two of them have died before TOS, to me that is like a terrible statement on the nature no, of children in the 1960s. Liz. Yes. In the episode, what are little girls made of? And I am, again, way on board with deciding that that episode is not canon. Yes. Do it, Strange New Worlds, do it. I give you permission. But in that terrible episode, we learn that Jim Kirk's brother has three kids. Flash forward to the end of that season. So sometime in however long is in between <laughs> what are little girls made of, which is like episode, I don't know, four, yeah, five, yeah. something around there. It's toward the beginning. And the season finale, two of them die. <laughs> this is just so what? careless on Sam's part. It's totally all his fault. <laughs> I mean, uh, so I don't want to blame Strange New Worlds for this because obviously that's absurd. It's not but, their fault. <laughs> but this series, this franchise has a problem with children and continuity. <laughs> I mean, clearly they forgot. Obviously. Like, I, I, they were like, we only want to have one kid. And so those mm. had, like, we don't know what happened to them. We can't afford gone. two more child actors. Our sequin <laughs> budget is already out of control. So Peter Kirk gets to survive, mm. and who knows what happens to anyone it's else. It's not like Kirk <laughs> takes, takes time out to look after or raise his nephew. But also, in The Next Generation, mm. Jean Picard has an older brother with a wife and a kid, <laughs> yes. and they have the same argument <laughs> in their episode as Sam and Jim having this episode. And then he and his child also die. Oh, God. It's like a a weird, mm. like, Enterprise captain thing yeah. happening here. And this is across too many years and too many writers to claim right. there's anything intentional it's, about it it's just it's like just weird we just just keep replicating this pattern and it's not even an especially interesting pattern Mm-mm. what i'm saying with this whole thing is i really wish they had a different relationship yeah like what if they were uh you know supportive of each other imagine what if that happened I mean, the impression that we get from the season and a half we've seen of Sam is that he's just not a very nice or supportive guy. And if, you know, if he has a chip on his shoulder because his younger brother is better at everything, sorry, like, that's still a you problem, yeah, Sam. Yeah, It's just bad big <laughs> brothering. I'm a big sister, so I know this. My siblings are much smarter and more successful and better at stuff than me, and that's great. Mm-hmm. You're proud of them. Yeah. You know, I, I get that you're supposed to have conflict mm. in television or whatever, but they're, they're not even main cast. Like, <laughs> they don't have to have this relationship mm. in order for their story to be told. It's just weird. And it's just such a, 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 a bland cliche of men's, you know, brotherly conflict. Right, rivalry. Oh, 
I don't live up to dad's legacy. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. You know dad, what? Dad, hey. dad, dad, dad. What if? What about Winona? I was just going to say, <laughs> what if the conflict was that Winona didn't want either of her sons to go into Starfleet? In Starfleet. And so they have this desire to achieve Starfleet success, but also feel like they're letting her down. And then they alternatively bicker and support each other through that and argue with her and argue with each other. Like, that honestly feels more interesting and realistic. What if they even mentioned that they had a mother? I mean, Jim mentions her in passing, that he and his mother and his brother followed his father to from Starfleet Posting to yeah. Starfleet Posting. But they they don't talk about her as someone who either of them want to make proud. No. We had a whole episode about making your mother proud last week. Yeah. Like, why, why does the Kirk family not... It's... Um, I'm going to cynically assume that if Amanda had not been a character in the original series and then Discovery, she would not be a factor in Strange New Worlds either. I just think that there are better ways to bring conflict and everything we learn about Sam makes him more unlikable. Mm. He attacks Buck, he's messy and flippant about it. He's not actually good at his job, like in the... Three episodes we've seen him do stuff in his job. He hasn't been good at it. Like, why is he not good at it? Across, like, in Children of the Comet and now here, Uhura is better at his job than she is. Yeah. And she has a completely (sighs) different job. And she has a completely different job and has had none of his training Mm. and isn't trying to do his job. And so then to make him an unsupportive brother mm. who is just angry at mm. Jim for being successful yeah. and like leaves in a huff. And then Jim spends the entire episode being a good big brother to Uhura because her brother died tragically. Mm-hmm. And, and we get to see her deal with that in this episode. Again, there's no way you can't parallel it mm. because they're they're doing it with the text of the episode. Mm. And that just makes Sam worse. You know the cliche, the screenwriting cliche, that you can have a character doing all sorts of terrible things, but if he saves a cat, then the audience will be on his side. Sam just keeps kicking cats. Yes, he keeps kicking cats. And he literally, he kicks a cat and then walks out of the bar and we never see him again. I mean, that's no loss. But also, <laughs> also I like your framing of Jim Kirk as a cat. I think Paul Wesley Kirk is specifically a ginger cat because there are no Definitely. brain cells there. Like he is a very smart Kirk, but there is no brain cell. Speaking of people who are messy in the workplace, let's talk about <sighs> Una and Pelia. Okay, so <laughs> two things. Yes. Number one, Pelia being messy is character building for Pelia. Yes. It creates conflict for Pelia and Una. I get it. I understand. It does make sense for Pelia that we've met in the mm. antique store and all of her you know, messiness mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. I get it. She's a messy person, and so she's going to be a, a literally messy person too. 
However, I don't like messy people. (laughs) In particular, I don't like people who are messy with food. I can deal with some mess, Mm. but like clutter. Okay. Yeah. But messy with food is like a big no for me. I mentioned it last week. Mm. I am the person who I'm at a restaurant. I finish eating and I take my napkin and I put it over my plate so I don't have to look at it anymore Mm. because Mm. I can't bring it into the kitchen myself. And so I really, really don't like that Pelia is messy with food and it makes me dislike Sam Kirk more. <laughs> and that is completely unfair. I admit, irrational and unfair. However, I blame Sam Kirk for the whole thing. No, look, that <laughs> makes a weird amount of sense because you don't want to hold it against Pelia, who you like. So you have to take those feelings and redirect them at someone else. Uh, exactly. I have a confession to make, and that's that I try not to be with messy with food, but I was just looking at my desk and saw two poppy seeds from my bagel yesterday. So I'm sorry. It is a normal human thing. And I'm not saying that I'm correct. (laughs) I'm just saying that for me personally, it is like Mm. one of those things. Mm. Well, I think (laughs) as a bit of character building for Una, it completely makes sense that she is also driven a little mad by that sort of thing. I bet she Mm -hmm. hates Sam Kirk. And I thought that their conflict was going to be something Mm. like, Pelia doesn't like that Una is genetically augmented or something, something Illyrians have problems with Pelia's people. And instead it was a, just a very straightforward, we are incompatible personalities. And also Una has a lot of unaddressed grief about Hema with whom she allegedly had a relationship. And <laughs> not that we ever saw them interact, but sure. Yeah, whatever. And <laughs> is having trouble accepting that Pelia has taken his place. That, to me, is a very down-to-earth, reasonable sort of... It makes sense. And Una is mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. type A. She mm-hmm. likes the rules to be followed, and if they're not going to be followed, she wants to be the one breaking them. Mm-hmm. And Pelia is like, oh, there are rules? Yeah. <laughs> Pelia definitely doesn't... Mm. No, there are rules. <laughs> because she doesn't care. She right. has lived long enough to no longer care. I right. say this as a woman over 40. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You go to a certain point and you realize, oh, I don't have to care. Right. And it's very freeing. Yeah. Una is probably also over 40, but Pelly has got a few centuries on her. Right, Pelia is has long since mm. given up caring mm. at all. And Una, because of her position and because she's kept her own secret for many years, Una is an assimilator and Pelia is not. Pelia came out of the closet, you know, her people came out of the closet 200 years ago. Pelia is an out and proud weirdo in a way that Una doesn't allow herself to be. And it actually makes make me think of, this is weird, Belana Torres and Seven of Nine, who they both take a very different approach to the rules in that sometimes mm-hmm. they follow them and sometimes they break them and it depends from mm-hmm. week to week which is which. They have compatible interests but incompatible personalities. Mm-hmm. And I think it's always a shame that we never got to see more of them interact and they sort of became friends but seemed to happen mostly off screen. And... Mm-hmm. I would like to see more of Una and Pelia becoming friends. 
She's just still, you know, clean her uniform a little. Just, you know, brush the crumbs off. I keep a, a lint roller at my desk at work in case I have cat hair on me because, you know, I wear black and I have an orange cat. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. like I am a naturally messy person, but I work to not spread it around. You can do that too, Pelia. I believe in you. Are we? Well, I have two things. Yes. The first is I feel like we talked a lot about what's bad about Uhura's storyline mm. and about Uhura's characterization, and this episode is all about how great Uhura is. Maybe we should talk about that a little bit. And I really <laughs> like... love that she is the hero and she saved not only herself and the crew, but these aliens. And she took a really big step in terms of confronting her inability to cope with death. And I think that makes her, you know, she has always been a a more fully fledged character in Strange New Worlds than the original series. Mm -hmm. But here I think she takes the final step into becoming fully three dimensional and it's hard. And I don't think she needed to suffer quite this much, but at the same time, Celia Rose Gooding is so luminous that I could watch them do anything. I really loved the part where they were all in the corridors in the dark and chasing whatever his name is. Mm. And she's like, oh, I I don't think I can do this. I'm, you know, Mm. I'm seeing too many things. I'm losing track of what's real and what's, you know, and this isn't, I should go back to sick bay, clearly. Mm. And Kurt's like, okay, let's go. And she says, no, you have to keep going and finding, you know, you you have a mission. Mm. My only mission is get back to Zikmay on my own. I'll be okay. Yeah. And then she's struggling <laughs> to do it, but finds the clues and, and actually is the person who confronts whatever his name is. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I feel actually bad that I don't know his name. It's hard because it hasn't aired yet, so we can't double check on IMDb or any of the places I would I'm normally go. But I also think that maybe it's the show's fault that I don't know his name. so not only does she take initiative Mm. and responsibility for i can't do this task that i've been given but i'm going to do this secondary task of getting back to sickbay yeah and then realizing oh oh no (laughs) the task has, has fallen on my lap and so i guess i'm gonna have to do it anyway and she does and it affects her negatively she gets to watch the horrific death which is nothing she needed so i like that progression Mm. of acknowledging that she couldn't do it taking responsibility for taking herself out of it realizing that she's stuck with it and then when she had to talk about it also talking about it yeah yeah. All of those things show so much strength of character and I love that the show gave her so much agency. Yes. And and put her completely in charge of everything that she was doing. Yes. To the point where she's the one giving the orders instead of Pike at the end on the bridge. And at that point I was like, dude, you have one job. Do not put this on the shoulders of your most junior officer who has already been through so much. I know we're meant to see it as like Pike's being respectful and he's willing to ask for help. But to me, like if I was was in Ahura's shoes, that is not what I would need. 
you know, one nice thing to say about Pike mm-hmm. is that he does acknowledge that if anybody's upset about it, it's all on him. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he acknowledges it to her. Yeah. <laughs> so look, look at you, Pike. You did one good captaining thing. <laughs> He's trying. <laughs> but clearly Ahura <laughs> is going to be a better captain than Pike. Ahura is uh, going to be a better captain. <laughs> and also I think having, <laughs> having the strength to admit that you can't do something and you need to stop, that can be really hard, especially for someone as driven and career oriented and focused as Ahura. So mm-hmm. I think I think that took tremendous guts. I actually really liked her story. I just wish it, be, it had been executed with a bit more care. And then I love her YouTube with Hammer. Yes. I agree with the visuals not being ideal mm. with Zombie Hammer. But I did like that Zombie Hammer was literally following her around at the end. Yes. And she was just doing her duty anyway. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And understood by that point that Zombie Hammer was not Hammer and not mm. her memory of Hammer mm. and not not even a monster. Like at that no, point the no. aliens were no longer the enemy yeah. in any way. Yeah. They weren't attacking her. Mm. She was attacking them <laughs> and she t- immediately mm took responsibility for making sure that Starfleet stopped. Yeah. Once so. again, the real enemy is the Federation mining industry. <laughs> Just saying. I feel like that is maybe an environmental stance that Star Trek <laughs> is taking. And I approve. But they've been taking it since 1967. And we haven't been listening. <laughs> <laughs> We still have mining. We sure do. Uh, where is Katrina Cordwell right now? Wait, we didn't get the what? My second thing. Oh, I'm so sorry. I lost count. What was your second it's thing? It's okay. It's okay. I mean, it's only because I feel like all of this Star Trek universe will be angry at us if we don't mention that Perkins Spot meat. Oh, this episode. okay. Yeah, I forgot about that. I know that it's not important <laughs> to you in any way. No. But well, we fair. should. I get that. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. However, a shockwave went around the universe yeah. when Kirk and Spock met. Yeah. And I think that that's important. So it was anticlimactic. Which is great. That, yeah, which is great. So I, I approve. Mm. And I think actually that's all I really want to say is mm. that I really like that they were, they didn't make a, they didn't like <laughs> do a slow mo. <laughs> <Like, you know? laughs> Ooh, important. So we're gonna, you know, it was it was offhand. He was literally off screen when it happened, mm. and then it pans mm. to him, and so mm. it's all very important and completely unimportant. And yeah, good choices. That seems like a realistic way to meet the most important right. friend you're ever going to have. And much like last week, when he says to uh, Uhura, you know, your Vulcan friend needs to protect his queen. I was concerned that was going to be it and that they weren't going to meet in this episode and they were going to draw it out and it's going to be super annoying. So I'm glad that that didn't happen. Hmm. Good job pacing Strange New Worlds. See, if they had given us this level of what I'm still going to call UST for Spock and Chapel, I would be completely like on board, just drag it out, make them suffer. 
Okay, now I'm going to ask, where is Katrina Cornwell right now? Okay, Katrina Cornwell, maybe she'd be in this episode. Yeah, this Um, one's hard. Let's say Katrina Cornwell has been in Section 31 since Mm -hmm. the end of Discovery Season 2, and because Section 31 obviously has future tech from when they, like, clone Jim Kirk's body and and whatever (laughs) in the future. And so... She has a way of knowing every time that a potential officer is going to have a horrible death. <laughs> and so she's just in a, her little secret time shuttle. <laughs> or, or no, and it's not a time shuttle. It's a future tech shuttle, yeah. which is cloaked and super fast. And so there's like a, you know, a su- supercomputer probably telling her where all the people are because Starfleet never learns. And they love using supercomputers to do all your things and also connect all their starships. Anyway, so un- unloved Farragut officer who gets shot out of the air like whatever happens to him. <laughs> and dies horribly did not die horribly he was rescued by katrina cornwell and has joined section 31 i am very happy for him i think that she is alive and has left starfleet to become a full-time mining protester and is at this moment chained to a dilithium extractor or something or other full-time mining protester (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, I also struggled with this episode. It's hard coming up with a new scenario every week. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, and there are just way too many social medias now, so we're trying, guys. We're trying. Yeah, we're doing our best. We will figure it out. Once, like, the social medias have (laughs) wars have ended, then we'll be on the right ones, I promise. Yeah. Credits for our theme music and transcripts of our episodes when the... AI that tells where soon-to-be-dead starting <laughs> officers is working. Oh, is that why us? it's not transcribing things? Yep. Right. It's too busy finding dead starting officers. There are so many. Okay, yes. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram. Maybe Instagram fits. We don't know. Oh, that's AntimatterPod. And on Mastodon at AntimatterPod at the 1040 instance. And Liz can tell you where that is, but I can't antimatterpod.10forward.social Thank you. You can write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com You can talk to us on any of our social medias. (laughs) We are also on all those things. Mm. If you like us, leave a review wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us and tell all your friends on social media or in person. Yeah. Elon Musk can't that shadow ban your conversations in real life Unless and join us next week when we will be discussing the next episode of strange new world season three season two <laughs> i'm just jumping okay when we will be discussing the next episode of strange new world season two those old scientists oh which God. i am pretty sure is the Lower Decks crossover. It is, and I have not even begun to fathom the possibility that might not be good. No, I'm sorry. They just have to be there. It's already good. It's already good. I've seen them in costume. It's already good.